most influential words written about love and the human race. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always. It always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end. Everything without love is nothing. Spiritual maturity is measured by love. The gauge of a life well lived is love. This Christmas season, we began a study on the most important topic in the world. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And over the next four Sundays plus Christmas Eve, we're going to teach you everything ever known about love. Isn't that exciting and impossible? It's not going to happen. But here's, here's the goal we have in mind. This is what God gave us. We are really identified in the world by people who love other people. That's what we're supposed to be. If we're conformed into the image of Christ, then we are a loving people. So our goal is that each one of us in here becomes more of a loving person by the end of December, especially by Christmas Day, that we will have grasped a knowledge of love and of life that we may not have had before. So don't miss any of the Sundays, if at all possible, and uh, I know that most of you are planning on coming today to the 8.30 service, so thank you for changing your plans and coming later. What is life? How many of you remember this movie? Everybody does, don't you? What is it? Life is what? Oh, bunch of Yankees. No, life is a box of chocolates. Yeah, that's how you say it. But it's not. It really isn't. You know, that was a spoof. This is not true. Life is not a box of chocolates. Life is a journey designed by the Creator to reveal His love to you and through you. See, He designed each one of you, He designed me, differently from one another, but according to His perfect design, in order to pour His love into me and for me to grasp that love and become a loving person. So that's the goal. God's desire is that we love one another. I've done a lot of weddings over the years of ministry I've been in, and I probably think 30 to 40% of them always wanted to use the passage out of 1 Corinthians 13 for their wedding. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. And Well, here's the sad news if you happen to use that. That's not about marriage, so too bad for you. But it can be about marriage. When it's properly described, it's really about God. We, we personify love. I could take the name of God and I could say the following from 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Look at this passage. 
God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. Because the Apostle John said in 1 John that God is love. So I can do that. Now that's talking about the being of God. Now if I break that being into the three persons of the Trinity, I could also say the Father bears all things. The Father believes all things. The Father hopes all things. The Father endures all things. I could say it of Jesus, that Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then I could say it of the Holy Spirit because he is God. But now it changes a little because the Holy Spirit is living in you if you're a follower of Christ. He's living in me. So now when I say it of him, I'm actually saying it of myself. The Holy Spirit bears all things. I can bear all things. The Holy Spirit believes all things. I can believe all things. The Holy Spirit hopes all things, and I can hope all things. And the Holy Spirit endures all things, and so can I. So as we move into our thinking, we need to understand that we're talking about the character of God here. That God is love, and these are examples of his love. These are character traits of God. And the Son of God came to pass those traits on to you and to me so that we can exercise the love of Christ in all of our relationships. So let's look at each of these phrases, and we're going to wait on that first phrase, bears all things until the end. We're going to start with believes all things. What does that really mean? Well, it's a trust factor. Trust is built in relationships. Jesus trusted the Father. When before the foundations of the world, the Father said to the Son, you're going to go and you're going to pay the ultimate price for the sin of the people we've created and you're going to save them. You're going to go and seek the lost and find them. And the Son trusted that the Father's statements were true. He had complete, just unmovable trust in the Father. That's why he spent so much time in prayer. It was to maintain that relationship of trust. So when we put that on the horizontal level, what kind of trust do you and I have for each other? Well, it's a little different because we are fallen people. We are sinful people. We are aggravating people sometimes. We're people that get on other people's nerves. So it's not quite the same, is it? But it should be. I should be able to trust the relationship I have with my wife, with my children, with my grandchildren, with my coworkers, with my friends, and with this family. Because the son trusted the father, and the son trusts me enough. He trusts you enough that he's given himself for you, and now he's given himself to you so that the Spirit of God lives in you. And you have complete trust of the father to carry out what he's called you to do. That's amazing. God trusts you. And it's because of his love. Because love always trusts. If you go back a little and go forward a little, you get all those other characteristics. But one of my favorites is love does not keep a record of wrong. Why? Because I trust you. If you do wrong, I still trust you. Why? Because I love you. 
with the same kind of love that Jesus Christ had for me. That trust is important. It's built on that relationship with the Father. Jesus had it. I have it. You have it. We have to exercise it. There's a story of a man who had a five-year-old kid. The boy's name was Zach. And he and Zach liked to go, and he was training him on how to climb the rock walls. And of course, they started small because he was only five. Well, he got up to about nine or ten feet, really great little climber. And his dad says, I was looking down, working on something, and I hear from above, and I'm going to give you a precursor right here. Don't try this at home. Okay. I hear from above, hey, Dad, catch me. And he said, I expected to look up and see him holding on to the wall and said, all right, here I come. He said, no, I looked up and he was halfway here. <laughs> he said he leapt from there and just came down and he said, I saw him and I caught him and we both fell backward and fell down. He said, at first I was just so thankful to have caught him, but then I was a little irritated with him. And I said, son, why did you even think that I would catch you? He said, you're my dad. And see, that's it. God's love is so great for you and me that he'll catch us. He's always there. I trust that he'll catch me. I trust that, that when I fall, when I make choices that are wrong and opposed to his will, when I sin, when I do things like that, that I confess those, that he's there to catch me because he's conforming me. He's conforming you to his image. So it requires trust. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. In other words, I trust God. And I'm learning how to trust others. And that trust can only be built through a relationship that is on the same foundation. If you love Jesus and I love Jesus, we should be able to trust one another. And when we fail each other, we should forgive each other. And then we build that trust again. Now, trust leads to hope. So I trust all things because God gives me the power to do that through his spirit. And I hope all things. But I want to define hope for you. Hope is actively waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in your life. You're actively waiting for God to fulfill promises. That's hope. Hope is, is knowing that the promises of God are true. That God is a covenant God. That he'll never say anything to you that he won't back up. See, Jesus had that hope in the Father. He hoped that everything the Father had said would come to pass would. And he knew it would. He believed with that great faith because he trusted his Father. But now he had hope. And that hope expressed itself in his obedience. So that he was looking beyond this life. And here's a real key in understanding the love of God. My love of Jesus Christ is not just because he saved me, and certainly that's the, the rock foundation of it, but my love for him is that I know 
He works every single day in my life to help me get where he wants me to be. Some days I make it hard for him. Some days I do exactly what he wants. But I'm following that because I have a hope. And my hope is not based on anything that I can accomplish because I have no strength in me to accomplish what God has for me. You don't possess that strength in the natural. You possess it in the supernatural. It's a supernatural love that you need. And when you express that supernatural need and that supernatural hope meets it, then you've got what you expected. You've got what you've been looking for. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews says this in 12.2, that we're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How often I've asked myself, the joy set before him, it was a hope. He had a hope that went beyond an earthly thought. That joy could not have been expressed in the garden where he was struggling. That joy could not have been to experience the the disciples all leaving him or the beatings he would take in this mock trial or the crucifixion on that cross. None of that could have been the joy that was set before him. That joy was being reunited in relationship with the Father. And that's what he has planned for you and me, is that we are to be joined with him now here, knowing that our hope is in the future. You see, I don't hope simply to die and go to heaven, because though I'm looking forward to that, and that is going to happen, when I get there, I'm going to be in a spiritual body that I don't even understand. That's not my hope. My hope is in the resurrection of the body. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If you're living this life thinking this life is the meaning of life, then you missed it. The meaning of life is to glorify God because you have a hope. The hope is that Christ has already been resurrected. He's already living in that permanent body. He already is in that eternal existence. And someday, and here's my hope, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And I'm going to have a new body and a new name, live on a new earth with a new heaven and a new Jerusalem. I'm so excited. I can't even comprehend eternity. But I know it's there because my God is has promised that it was, and I believe him, and I hope in him. So my eyes are upon Jesus and the future that he has for me in eternity. But I have to live here now. And my task now is exactly what these little kids sang, and that is we have to go and tell people about this loving God who sent his son who loved us all the way to his death, who loved us enough to save us from ourselves and to save us from the wrath of God. Hope is three boys saying to the king, you can throw us in the fire. Our God may choose to deliver us, but we're not going to bow down to you. See, our hope is in God. It's 
Daniel being placed into the den of lions. And Daniel said, sure, put me down there. Either God's going to let me sleep on comfort tonight or he's going to eat me. But it doesn't matter. I have hope in an eternal God. That statement that Job made, you know, that though he slay me, yet shall I praise him. We're going to stand with him on that new earth someday. There's my hope. So I keep that in my mind at all times so that the circumstances of this life don't rob me of loving other people, don't rob me of loving my spouse and my children and grandchildren and all of you. I want to be a loving person because I know God's not done. The great Englishman G.K. Chesterton tells of seeing a painting, a piece of artwork one day, and that artwork on that canvas showed a shack that had burned down. And in front of the shack facing us, there was an older gentleman, probably the grandfather. And he had only what he was wearing on his back, and it was ripped and torn. And next to him was a little boy, more than likely his grandson. And that little guy was crying and only had a hold of just a set of overalls. And the caption underneath the painting said this, Hush, boy, God ain't dead. How often do you see yourselves in a situation where you're trying to figure out where is God? Why isn't God here? Don't put your hope in man. Don't put your hope in circumstances. Don't put your hope in politics. Don't put your hope in money. Your hope must be in the Lord. And he's already given us reason to believe the hope is true because he sent Christ and raised him from the dead. So we have this hope that's built on our trust, and those two things together give us the capability of enduring all things. What does it mean to endure all things? It's not being swayed from a deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith in Christ. I'll say it again. Endurance is not being swayed from a deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith in Christ. Christ wants you to endure no matter what is going on. He wants a steadfast, constant endurance while you're waiting for his deliverance. It doesn't matter what it is. He's either going to deliver you through it or out of it. He's either going to deliver you in this time framework or he's going to deliver you into eternity. But either way, you are to endure. Jesus Christ endured. He started knowing who he was at all times, the God-man. At 12 years old, he's in there talking about his purpose, talking about his father. He says to his family, should I not be about my father's business? And then at 30, he opens up his public ministry and begins healing people and telling them about the kingdom of God and, and pointing to himself as the Messiah and saying, I am God. And, and they rejected him. They wouldn't believe him. But he endured. He endured the suffering of the cross. He endured the wrath of the Father against him because he was suffering as sin for us. So Christ endured. Because the Father loved him, he gave him the strength to do it. Because he endured, he passes on that strength to you and to me that we too may endure it. But there's nothing in our original nature 
that can help us to do that. Here's what happens, and maybe you've seen this in your own life. When I find myself in a trial and I start praying for endurance, sometimes the trial increases. But then so does my endurance because he keeps building me up just ahead of the trial. Because when things get tough, the tough get going. When you find yourself in a situation and you have that trust and that hope, then you can endure because God will give you the power to endure. You yield to him totally. Just say, okay, Lord, you help me. You be my strength to get through this. And he works in the little ways, and he works in the big ways. But Christ never quit. I don't like it when people say, I think I'm just going to give up. Why? You have every reason to continue. And God will help you continue. You can't give up. There's a story of Andrew Jackson, who was the president of the United States in the 1800s. And Jackson was recognized by many of his classmates as, as a guy that would really never go anywhere. They said, we just don't know how he ever became a general and then also was elected to the presidency. Just He's not that kind of guy. Someone said, oh, I think he was. Said, well, why do you think that? Well, because remember when he used to wrestle? With old Jim Brown, he said he'd wrestle and Jim Brown would throw him down. He'd wrestle a second time, throw him down, third time, throw him down. And you're supposed to be done after three. But old Jackson would get up and say, nope, I ain't throwed. He said then in that fourth time he'd worn his opponent down, he'd throw him. He said, here's the moral of the story. It's not how many times you get thrown. It's whether or not you stay thrown. It's, it's not a matter of how many times you and I are called into difficult situations. Some of those we bring upon ourselves. Some of them come from the outside through circumstances. The matter is, do you trust God? Do you believe God? Do you have hope in God that he will help you endure this time? So when you're looking forward into these circumstances, keep your eyes on Jesus. When you look back, you'll see everything that he's already done for you and he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But why would I not endure? My life verse is Lamentations 3, 21, 24. The first part of this, let's read it together. Yet this, Jeremiah says, I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. In other words, I will endure. When I wake up in the morning, I'm glad I just woke up. Okay? I look and make sure I'm still awake, I'm alive. I have another day to become more like Christ. I have another day to try to get it right because I didn't yesterday. I haven't found a day I ever did, but I'm working at it. And so here I am with this love of Christ, love me so much that today he's saying, my mercies are new for you today. You have the opportunity for a new faith, stronger belief, more hope, and I will help you endure. Can you do it today, just today? Can you do this? And I say, yes. Every morning, your mercies are new. Great is your faithfulness to me. So I will wait patiently upon you, Lord. 
That's what endurance is. So now we have these three. We have love that helps us believe who Christ is, and it's his love. We have hope that is the hope that Christ has given us because of what he's accomplished. And we have the endurance he's given us because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And God said, I will complete what I started in you. Every good work I will bring to completion. So I'm trusting all of that. Now I want to jump back to the first phrase that was in our passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, which is bears all things. That word bears there is a very unique Greek word. And that Greek word means a covering, like a tent or an umbrella. This morning when I got up and I came to the church very early, it wasn't snowing yet. I thought it was raining. And I walked outside and I saw, no, it was sleeting. And so I got my umbrella and I put it up. And, and as I'm walking to the car, I'm thinking, this is what you mean, isn't it, Lord? It doesn't matter what's happening around me. I'm covered by you, that you have covered me. The same way the Old Testament prophet would take the blood from the sacrificed animal and on the Day of Atonement, he would go in and he would sprinkle the mercy seat so that the mercy was now effective because of the blood of the perfect animal. Christ's blood was shed for us. And that perfection, once and for all, has covered us. We are covered in the blood of Christ. And nothing can separate us from that. Quit trying to do something more to make God love you more. Quit feeling guilty over not having done enough and fearful that God doesn't love you because of something you've done. Let's settle this once and for all. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. I don't care what you're thinking of. No, you can't. Because the love of God is so powerful because of what he did through Christ, that he has redeemed us from that. So now I have this faith and this trust and this, this endurance, this hope, because he's covered me in it. I am a walking person covered in the love of God. Wow. And so are you. It's not because of what I do or who I am. It's because I'm a child of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ because he loves me. Now he wants me to do something with that love. What am I supposed to do with it? I'm supposed to pass it on. I'm supposed to love unconditionally everyone with whom I have contact. And I don't even have to ask you. This is a redundant question. Do you know how hard that is? <laughs> to love everybody with whom you come contact. That's almost impossible, but Jesus did it, and he's given me the power to be able to do it. There's a story of a young boy. He grew up needing to feed himself, care for himself. He's eight, nine years old. He's living uh, in a, in a low-income place, but he goes every day to the subway, and that's where he makes his money. He sells pencils and pens and trinkets. And he's got his little cigar box there, and he gets nickels, dimes, quarters, whatever the people will give him. Those who feel sorry for him will buy a pencil. But one day in this crowded subway in New York City, somebody inadvertently walks by and kicks his box, and the box turns over, and everything spills all over the walkway. But people don't care. They just keep going. 
And he's just sitting there until one man comes along. He's a distinguished-looking gentleman. He's dressed well. and He stops and he kneels down, gets on both knees, and starts picking up the things and putting them back in the box. It takes him about five or ten minutes. He gets it all in there. and He looks at what's there and he realizes that's not very much. So he pulls out his wallet and he, he takes out a large bill and he puts it in the basket. And he stands up and he starts to walk away. And the little boy says, hey, mister. He says, yeah. He said, are you Jesus? The man said, no, I'm not, but I love him. Yeah. It's my hope that when people see you, when they see me, they see Jesus in us. The love of God passed on through us so that others would see who he is. We celebrate that love today with communion. It's a celebration that that helps us remember that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything prophesied up to that point. When he gathered together with those disciples in that room that evening, he was changing things. He was saying, you're about to experience love in a way you've never understood. It'll be counterintuitive to you because I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. But I'm going to rise on the third day. And then you'll know my love. As a matter of fact, he said, this is a new covenant that I'm striking tonight with you, a new promise that I'm making, a new way to do things, everything that had happened up to that very moment in sacrificial law now passes away because Jesus says, this is the new covenant. This bread represents my body. This drink represents my blood. As often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you will remember me until I come again. What do I remember about him? I remember how much he loved me. I remember how much I'm supposed to love others. So today, confess your sins. Ask Jesus to forgive you, and he will. And then love Jesus. Love yourself and love one another. If you'll hold the elements till everyone has been served, we'll partake together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come into your presence now asking for a very special spiritual blessing. Holy Spirit living within us, take what we're about to do and anoint it that we might receive a better understanding of your love to become the loving people you've called us to be. For these things we pray in your name. Amen.